Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Hey, uh, have you ever been someplace where somebody pointed out how you were nobody? You ever been there? So like early in my ministry career, a lot of the jobs I did was I was like somebody's huckleberry. You know, it's like, I'll carry your bag for you. You know, I'll set everything up for you. you know, like my business card would say, boy, that was kind of my job. So I was with this nationally known speaker and he's about to speak at this conference in Orlando. And it's a day like today. It's a nice balmy 100 degrees with 80% humidity. It's just easy as pie, right? And we're going into, they have this big tent outside of the uh, conference center. That's a bookstore. I think about that. Orlando, Florida, July, 100 degrees, 80% humidity, and the bookstore's in a big tent. It right? makes perfect sense. And so we, we're walking in there, and like we're, we've, I've toted stuff all morning. I am wringing wet. We get in the bookstore, and this guy says to me, you know what? I'm telling you, I'm going to kill it. I need you to go back and get an extra case for my books and bring them here. So I trudge back across the parking lot. I mean, seriously, I am sweating out like an entire One Direction guy. And I get all the way there, bring the books back. I'm putting the books under the the table knowing he believes they're going to sell out. And I'll never forget, I'm standing there with this nationally known speaker. And these guys come by and they're just shopping in the bookstore. And they pick up his book. And they turned it on the back. And the guy said, what a stupid name for a book. And who is this guy? And the guy I was with was like, oh, that's not cool. You know, I babysat him through the rest of the day, and he was good. And I thought, man, that was brutal. Next year, I'm the guy that's speaking at the conference. I walk in, and when I walk in the room, I see this very important dude on the other side of the room. He's waving. As I walk in, I am confident he's waving at me. I am making a beeline because I'm thinking, this dude knows me. How That's so cool. I'm somebody. I got within about three feet with him, and he blew straight by me like I was totally invisible, shook hands with a guy behind me, and I thought, wow, I am a nobody. Then last week, I, it is so cool to serve in the church that has the double role of being the humility police. Y'all keep me on my toes. So I get this email in the middle of last Sunday afternoon. Family here with a seven-year-old boy who loves to come to, to big church, right? So he's taking notes. His dad always on Sunday afternoon says, I want to keep up with your notes. Well, last week I made this one statement. Wouldn't it be horrible if all we had in the world was more of Chuck? And, and so this kid's notes, the only thing he wrote down out of 28 minutes of teaching last week was this one thing. Chuck said the world would be horrible if it was full of him. <laughs> he got it, didn't he? Yeah, I know. And for those of you that just said amen, that is not cool. That is not cool. Yeah. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 11. And uh, we're continuing this series, Bold. And it it frankly starts off, if you think about it, God has this unbelievably bold move and he creates heaven and earth. Now, regardless of what you believe about the creation, all right? I mean, if you believe it's six literal days, you believe it's, it's a day is like a year, a thousand years, really take that off the table for a minute. It is a big deal. I know it's a big deal. But at the end of the day, do you believe God created heaven and the earth? So we started there. Then we moved from there to the fact that, okay, it wasn't enough that we had an earth. We had man and woman. God looked at man and said, oh, that is not good for him to be alone. And he created woman and all the dudes said, amen. And so then we have a problem. 
We have what's called the fall. So they mess up. Sin enters the world. And we're still living with that today. And after the fall last week, the flood, God wipes out all of creation, saves Noah and his family. They start over again. And today in Genesis 11, we're in a place where we teach the story on the Tower of Babel. Now, it's important when you look at this in the first nine verses of chapter 11 to have a little bit of history. If you've been around Sugar Hill Church very long, you know that we believe that when you teach any story, Old Testament or New Testament, it's important that we understand the context in which it was written then so we can understand the context in which it's meant for us today. And so when you look at this, having a little history and understanding the context makes a big deal. So look with me in verse 1 in chapter 11 the book of Genesis. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they're one people, they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there. Let us go down there. Confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. They just stopped. Because, and watch this, therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. So now, if you take a look at this story, you find some fascinating lessons. Matter of fact, maybe some of those fascinating is in the beginning where we understand these folks were speaking a common language. They had one voice. They had one language. And here's what we learned. When we speak in one voice, one language, it is amazing what we can do. God looked at them and said, look, they have one voice. They have one language. And because of that, there's nothing they cannot do. You know, you know why we say around here all the time, uh, Sugar Hill Church, what kind of church is it? We believe the Bible's a big deal. We believe Jesus is the biggest deal. We believe serving people in need, both here and around the world, is how we show that, that we, which we believe. You know, we say that day after day, week after week, but it's because if we have a common language to do that, we can actually, that. We can actually accomplish that. We can be a part of something bigger and broader than we could have ever imagined. And so God looks at that, number one, and says, look what they could do. But I want you to notice what they chose to do. Scripture says that they, they chose to make a name for themselves. As they put all this together, their, their choice was, hey, we have all this power. We, we have all this authority. We have all this momentum. We've got all these things going around for us so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, one of the common threads we find weaving through Scripture from Genesis to Maps is this picture that God has created you and I that we might do everything we're supposed to do to bring glory to him, that we might honor him, that we might bring praise to him, not to ourselves. Everything we read in the story of Jesus in the Gospels in the New Testament is all about bringing glory and honor to him, not to ourselves. So we, right off the bat, we see they took all that power, they took all that common language, they took all that ability, and they used it for one thing, so that they could bring a memorial of greatness to themselves. Now, right after that, we begin to learn a lot more about what's happening here. There's a dude by the name of Nimrod. Now, he should be thoroughly ticked at his parents. He might should sue them, 
All right, Nimrod. How many times have you used that phrase in a derogatory sense? But that's him, Nimrod. Now, Nimrod has a pretty interesting past. Do you know what his name means in Hebrew? It means that he is a rebel. He chose to rebel against anything and everything that wasn't focused toward him. His entire goal, just like we see today, you give somebody, anybody, any of us, you give us the right amount of power, and you give us the right amount of authority, and you give us the right amount of technology, and we'll make it about us. I mean, all you've got to do is look at society today. If you go and do an internet search this afternoon, Google, and just take a look at anything, and you will find dozens and dozens and dozens of people who will tell you that your job is to use the internet to build a bigger platform for you. I mean, we're still doing the same thing. Churches do it. Let's build as big a building as we can. Let's, let's make it all about us. Let's make sure that everybody knows the way we believe is the only way. Let's make sure that folks that they think the way we do. And before long, what happens is we, we even make the church about us. And so what we see is these folks, Nimrod has led. And by the way, this wasn't the only city that Nimrod was doing this in. He had power. He had people. I mean, he had everything he needed, and he was doing this all over the known world, making him and the people a big deal. I mean, it's kind of like, what if, what if we were sitting next to a country who had a, a, the atomic bomb, but we didn't? We knew that they had used it, but we couldn't. Can you imagine the fear they're in? And that's exactly how everybody would have felt about the power there, because they made it about them. It had nothing to do with helping people. It had nothing to do with serving people. It couldn't have cared less about what was happening to people in need. It was all about them. Now, it's important when you look at this that Nimrod, whose name means rebel, is literally leading a rebellion against anybody doing something that would bring honor to anybody other than him. So if, if you're online and you're watching today or you're here today, I want to remind you that what we do, how we act, how we react, all of that is an indication of how much we are about ourselves and how much we are about our Creator. And I would say in my life, far too often, I spend more time worrying about the creation than I do the creator. Far too often, my decisions about what's best for the creation, not for the creator. And Nimrod chose to do that. I mean, there are several details that you look at here that we might blow by us. Maybe you heard this in vacation Bible school, or maybe you heard it in Sunday school. Maybe, maybe as a kid, you read this story. And you're thinking, okay, the, the whole story is, is about the tower. You know, part, some of that's right. I mean, I want you to notice that Scripture makes a big deal in saying that when Nimrod got there, they started building bricks. They started taking clay and they started building bricks from that clay. And they started digging out of the dirt and finding tar for mortar. Now you say, well, why is that such a big deal? Because where Nimrod had come on the plain of Shinar, history showed that most of those people, what they built was no bigger, no higher, no stronger than they could have stacked loose rocks. So if you gathered loose rocks odds are good you would have to be really careful in picking the right rocks that could stand on top of another rock because they weren't using anything but rocks and so they might have four walls they might have a thatch roof and they might have taken the loose rocks and gotten it high enough to have a little fence around to keep their livestock in but the fact is all they knew to do was to build with loose rocks and you know if, you, if I gave you a wheelbarrow full of loose rocks and I said okay build a tower with it you couldn't go very high Loose rocks, they're, they're ill-fitting. They're not the same. There's, there's nothing about them. There's nothing conventional. It is kind of old school, stack rocks. That's what you know every day. Stack rocks, stack rocks, stack rocks. And then Nimrod shows up and he has a whole new idea. He says, hey, I'm going to show you how to build bricks 
and dig up and use tar for mortar. When you do that, you can do something really cool. You say, so really, it is about the tower, right, Chuck? No, it's about the people who chose to build the tower. Now watch this. When somebody introduces something new to the world that makes the world a better place, that makes the world a more convenient place, that somebody introduces something that the masses adapt, what do we call it? Technology, right? I mean, how many of you still have a flip phone? Are you bold enough to tell me you still got a flip phone? Yeah, okay, see there? See, does it have a rotary dial on it? And do you like call Mabel and ask her to connect to you? Like, okay, so, so you, don't you guys remember when the mobile phone first came out, like cell phones? They had to be hardwired to your car. And then we came out with bag phones, and they were like this big. You remember, you remember the big brick phone? It had a battery life of about two and a half minutes, but it was really cool if you had one. Yeah, remember that? How many of you are old enough to remember black and white TV? <laughs> Golly, we got to reach more young people. And so, so you remember you had to actually get up and change the channel yourself? And was your dad like mine that when you changed the channel, your job was to hold the rabbit ear so that the signal would stay strong? And he's like, Dad, I want to watch too. Shut up. You know, hold it. And, and that was the whole deal. Okay, then I remember when my dad bought the first uh, color television. I thought we had arrived. Then the next one was one with the remote control that I didn't have to get up and change the channel on. And it was so goofy, you could jingle the keys in your pocket and change the channel. I'll never forget. I thought that was so cool. Our dog could bark and change the channel. I mean, it was a little funky, you know. And, but then... I remember the very first computer I got. It was so awful. I mean, it was just terrible. Everybody trying to teach me DOS something. It's like, I just want to hit a button, it works. And then I got a Mac and, oh! I mean, you think about it. You can talk on a phone today with somebody across the world and send them a document afterwards, and we don't think anything about that. It's technology. I mean, look at the things we love. How many of you are like me in HD snobs? Seriously, you just, I, I mean, you make sure you got HD televisions. I can't imagine not having high definition. I'm just such a snob about it. I mean, how many, how many of you had something at Starbucks this week? Let me see your hands. Something at Starbucks. Come on, fess up. Okay, yeah. You know what? What would we do without a $5 cup of coffee? I mean, seriously, what on earth would we do? Technology. You know, we're, we are in a world where our universe is spinning 67 million miles per hour heading in a path. And you know what it always does? It always progresses. It keeps on moving. No matter what we do, it keeps on moving. It keeps changing. You know what they had right then? They had new technology. The brick and the mortar was the iPhone of the day. The brick and the mortar was the technology of the day. At 9.30, Bobby McGraw had his phone on Periscope showing the last song. And I got a notice on my watch that said, Bobby is now live on Periscope showing our music, which means if you had Periscope, you could have watched that music from anywhere in the world on your phone or tablet through Bobby's phone. Okay, is that not just weird and a tad creepy? I mean, think about it. This, this technology... But what Nimrod brought to them was technology. If you build these bricks the same size, if you use mortar, you can build higher. And what did they choose to do with it? They chose to use their technology to build a name for themselves. You see, here's the problem. The technology of the new brick, of the mortar, that wasn't the problem. Having the internet, having social media isn't the problem. It's what we choose to do with it. I mean, like, at my house, our kids have one rule. If you don't have a picture of it, it didn't really happen. And if you didn't post it, it didn't matter. As a matter of fact, if you don't get 50 likes, you're an idiot. I mean, if you don't get 50 likes in about five minutes, you're a loser. 
I mean, whether you're a Snapchatter, whether you're all jacked up on Twitter, or whether you're all about the Instagram, or whether you're about Facebook, or whatever your deal is, could I just say to you that if we're more concerned about how many likes, how many friends, how many follows, and all of those things happen in our social media, then we do anything to try to encourage the name of Christ and further his mission. We have a problem. If what we're all about is that I'm willing to go to a cool restaurant, be on the beach, be, be beside the pool, watch the dolphins, go to a concert, and I'm willing to post that everywhere, but I'm not going to post that when I'm in church, I'm going to tell somebody how great that is. I'm going to let people be aware of that. We have a problem. You see, we took technology and we do the same thing that they do. You see, in some ways, we've progressed unbelievably. Can you imagine people in Genesis 11 in that time giving them an iPhone and saying, hey, man, what do you think? I mean, they would have totally freaked out, but that's what brick was to them. And they chose to use all of that for their glory and bring fame to their name. And I wonder if we've done the same thing with technology here. I wonder if we made it all about us. And somewhere in the middle of that, the more we make it all about us, the further we grow away from what God has called us to be. I mean, if you think about it, God, in his infinite wisdom, said, let us go down there and confuse them. Did you notice that, the us? He said, let us go down there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity at work, let's go. All the parts of God, let's go down there. You know what that is a picture of? That Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, from the very start of time until the end of time, there may be a million changes, but it all should point to him. And as we see this happen, what we find in this story, it's not just the bricks we're dealing with. We're seeing that people chose to use that to have more power, to wield it over people who had less power. I mean, you find this common thread weaving all through the scriptures, not that our task is just to be helping people in need, but that we do that in the name of Jesus our Lord because it's in his name that we get the privilege to serve people in need. We have an opportunity to be a part of his grand plan. We get to be a part of what he's doing to reconcile the world, to have a relationship with God. He lets us play on his field. We're a part of that. I mean, can you imagine? There you are. You're the people that build stones all your life. You have the wall that gets this high and you're done. Then all of a sudden I can build something to heaven. This technology, it's all about, I want to make sure it's all about us. But it gives us this kind of haunting warning that when we make it all about ourselves, when we make it all about our, our accumulation, when we make it all about our ego, when we make it all about our power, all about our desire to rule, when we make ourselves too full of ourselves, too obsessed with our own importance, too fixated on elevating ourselves. And then we find that why is it that our efforts seem to go nowhere, that we create more challenges, that we create more mess, we create more, more problems? We see this in there because, again, woven through Scripture, we see this thought that we were created to serve people. That's why the Bible's a big deal. Jesus is the biggest deal, and we serve people in need. Because, you see, the world's greatest problem is like that seven-year-old that wrote down the notes from last week. The world's greatest problem is not gay marriage. The world's greatest problem is not Obamacare. The world's greatest problem is not the fact that Greece has an economic meltdown. I mean, the world's greatest problem is the blackness and the sin of our heart. But you know what I've noticed? That we just have this overwhelming ability to focus our attention on everybody else's junk. 
I mean, it is so much easier for us to look and say, I cannot believe you do that. I can't believe that's their lifestyle. I can't believe you choose this. But you know, it's interesting, again, woven through the fabric and the DNA of Scripture says to us kind of repetitively over and over again, especially in the teachings of Jesus, it is about the matter of your heart. And as long as hatred rules on your heart, Jesus doesn't. And as long as hatred rules in our life, Jesus doesn't. And as long as we're focusing on what everybody else is doing wrong, we'll never focus on what God wants to do right in our life. Because it's just so easy to point at everybody else. You say, well, okay, Chuck, I got all that, but how do I deal with the common self? If that's, what, if that's what's built into my DNA, all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the way through Noah and the flood, all the way through the Tower of Babel, now we all speak a different language, now we're all trying to get this right, how do I have this little self-awareness moment where I can take a look at how do I make sure I'm not guilty of making it all about me? Well, I want to give you a handful of thoughts. First of all, I want you to give thought to Romans 12, chapter 3, or chapter 12, verse 3. It says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think soberly. I mean, Paul gives this thought of, listen, don't, don't think yourself that you've got the fix. As a matter of fact, the point Paul's trying to make here in this writing is this, that the only thing good within us is the presence of Jesus himself. I mean, every one of us are a quarter of an inch away from a stupid decision. Every single one of us have, has a part of our heart that has all capacity for evil. Deep down in the recesses and dark places of our soul, we know within us is the ability to hate, to be a racist, to be a bigot, we know it's there. You know why? Because we are sinful men and sinful women. And you're saying, but Chuck, I'm a good guy. I'm so glad I'm not. I mean, your pastor is supposed to be a nice dude. It is work for me. I am not by nature a nice guy. It is work. I mean, I literally have to let Christ work on me and at times beat the dog out of me just to be a nice guy. I wonder sometimes when we look at this, are... are do we have a willingness to admit our weakness and especially our sin? Do we have a willingness to do that? I mean, to, to do that, though, we, we have to set aside. I've heard this all my life. I've, I've, I've grown, up, grown up in evangelical churches. I've known it my whole life. I've heard this phrase since I was a kid. We love the sinner. We hate the sin. Can I just say to you that, I mean, the Greek for that is bull. We don't really love the sinner. We just like to throw that phrase out so we can beat the dog out of him about his sin. I mean, seriously, think about it. Oh, I love the sinner, but I hate the sin, but look at that. You know, that's what we do. Could I just say to you, I think it's time to lose that phrase and just say, you know what? I hate my sin. I hate my sin. I want to deal with what's, what's deep and dark in my heart. I want to deal with my racism. I want to deal with my bigotry. I want to deal with my selfishness. I want, I want to deal with this gossiping heart. I want to deal with this one. I think we ought to maybe have a look at this because the cure for the common self is that we've got to have a willingness to not only admit our weakness and our sin, but we've got to learn to value the good qualities in other people. It's been proven we find something wrong seven times faster with somebody before we find one thing right. So sitting here today, you found some, seven things wrong with me before you found one thing right. And in my case, it might have been 14 or 15. What if, what if we were to look and say, you know what? I can go from believing that God took a coffee break on that guy to, wow, God must have a very special plan for him. He's just unique enough that God has a really cool plan for him. What if we could go there? 
What if, what if our first thought wasn't, you know what, you don't look like me, therefore there must be something wrong. You don't believe like me, there must be something wrong. What if we really could be that church in a community that would say, you know what, I, that they, may not, they may not agree with me, but I can love them. They may not walk like me, but I, I, I can love them. They may not dress like me, but I, I can love them. But to do that, that means you've you got to give credit to God for what good there is within you. Because he's the only one that allows us to convey value and love. I mean, Romans chapter 12, verse 16 says, Don't set your mind on high things. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Several years ago, I, I went through a process trying to figure out what my life verse would be. As a matter of fact, we're doing a Sunday on that soon. And I wound up in, in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. And, and it says, he's told you, old man, what is good. This is what God's saying. God's saying, this is what's good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do these three things? Do justice. In other words, make wrong things right. Do, do righteousness. Do good, good, do good things. But if he's in the middle of that, he says, don't just do that. Love kindness. Some of your versions say love mercy. If I did a spiritual gifts assessment of you, I have so little mercy, I don't even want any. And you know what he says? Oh, but that's no excuse, Chuck. Love mercy. Love kindness. And then he finishes up and he says, and then walk humbly with your God. That's what God requires of us. You say, okay, Chuck, I, I can do that whole self-awareness. I can do that self-assessment thing. But I need something tangible to go to. I, I, if I want to fix this, if I want to know that God's used me to make a big difference, what do I do? Well, the scripture is pretty clear. There is something for us to do because the cure for the common self is to figure out how do I use my life for the glory of God to serve other people. I have never met anybody who did something from somebody else and remained selfish in the process. I've never seen anybody come back from a mission trip and say, wow, that was so stupid. What a waste of time. I've never seen anybody that reached out to a hurting family and said, I hate them. I want, it, it's no, it's, it shouldn't be any shock to you. The chairman of our deacons, Rusty Thigpen, is sitting down here a few weeks ago. Uh, it didn't make a big deal about it, never said anything about it. But he, he teaches a, a four-year-old class on Sunday morning. And um, one of the boys in his class is like a NASCAR freak, a four-year-old, my kind of kid, right? And, uh, and Rusty and Dina took their Sunday afternoon. He, he's a big shot with Hendrick uh, Motors. And they had two of the NASCAR cars at the dealership. And that family brought that little four-year-old, and they went down there, and they got to sit inside when nobody was around to have a private time to do it. And I thought to myself, see, this is what it's like to serve people. Not because the church calendared it, but because in our heart we had a DNA change that said, I'm wired, I'm built, I'm called to serve people. Not because we scheduled a salt and light day, but it was because this is who we are, this is what we do. You see, I believe the cure is that we have a willingness to serve the needs and interests of others. That we see somebody in need and we just simply reach out. You ever seen that show, uh, What Would You Do? It comes on uh, Friday nights and, and it's on ABC. We were watching it the other night because clearly we don't have much of a life. And so we were watching this show and, and it was interesting. They had this guy in the military that was an actor and the, and the girl behind the counter was an actor and they were talking about the groceries he was trying to buy and he didn't have the money and he, she swiped his card and he, it was declined. And time after time, people behind him offered what little money they had or they said, take my card and swipe it and pay for it. And you know, no church sponsored it. Nobody knew they were doing it. It was a total hidden camera deal. And I sat there and I thought to myself, I wonder how many times God gives me a what would you do moment in front of me, but I wait for the church to do something instead of just acting on my own. 
What if we were to look out for the needs and interests of others? Jesus came along in Matthew 23, and he made an unbelievable statement. He said, if you want to be great, you must become a servant. Now, remember, Jesus was talking to people who had servants and were servants. We hear it today and really can't grasp it and think, oh, how, how, how atrocious. But that was common time in the day. Remember, put, put in context what it was then so we can understand it now. And, and he's saying, take on the lowest position you can. You do that out of, out of the overflow of your heart. Now you're great. Now, it's, it's cool. It's good if you go do it because the church has a program. But now, if you want to be great, it simply happens to the DNA of your heart. You're just going to become a servant. You see, we're really great when we humble ourselves to the degree that we're willing to do not only what nobody else wants to do, but when nobody gives you credit to do it. I mean, I, I have to ask myself at times, because all this mess right here, there's a lot of selfishness right here. You ever, be there? you ever been there? And ask yourself, would I do what I do if the only thing I ever got out of it was a pat on the back from the Spirit of God, boy. And when you've acted that way because of that, now you're approaching greatness. Because you simply did what Jesus called you to do in, your, in the life of, of the DNA of your heart. You see, Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 3, says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Look each of you, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he's in the form of God, did not count equal quality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So today, what if we were determined that what we say we are, we'd actually do? What, what if we were to say, you know, the Bible is a big deal? That the, Jesus really is the biggest deal. And because of that, I'm going to serve people, not because it's a program, not because it's a check mark, not because it's a do list, but simply out of the overflow of what's happening in my heart, I'm going to serve people. You say, well, sure, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to start. I don't know how to act. And by the way, what happens when somebody takes advantage of me? Can I just say to you, if you're going to help somebody, sooner or later you will be taken advantage of. But it doesn't make the service bad. What if we were to do that simply out of the overflow of our heart? We weren't waiting for the church to schedule a salt and light day. We, we weren't going to just recognize you because you did it. What if we were to say, I just want to do that? You know what I believe would happen? We watch all the shows and we get all jacked up as evangelicals and talking about, you know what, man, we need a better America. You know, our problem's not gay marriage. Our problem really isn't Obamacare. Our problem isn't all those things. Our problem is the sin that rests within each of our own hearts. Our problem is, is here. It's right in here. And until each of us, starting with this guy, looks in our heart and says, okay, God, you've got to do something different. And you know what the cure for the common self is, according to Scripture? Go serve somebody. Go help somebody in need. Matter of fact, you go to Barnes & Noble, you look at Amazon.com, you look for any self-help book that says, you want to be happy, you want to be successful, you want, you want to be content, you want to be fulfilled, inevitably in all those lists. You go to Lifehack.com, you find who are the most successful people in the world. Inevitably on the list is this, give yourself away and serve somebody. Jesus made a point of saying, as a matter of fact, when you do that, you're great. So today I want to invite you into making a difference. I want to invite you today to say, okay, not another day is going by until I serve somebody. Not another day is going by until I choose to make a difference in someone's life. 
Because I do believe the Bible's a big deal. I do believe Jesus is the biggest deal. I do believe serving people in need here and around the world is a big deal. And up and go do it. What if you decided, you know what some of you are saying, you know what, Chuck, I don't have time to do that. Can I just say to you, then you're just way too stinking busy. What if you say, well, you know what, Chuck, that's not my thing. It's not my gift. You know, I'm all about that. Could I just give you this one thought? Wah. Some of you can't go, but you can give. Some of you can't go and give, but you can pray. And some of you, I promise you, we need to get off of our rear end and go do something in the name of Christ because that's what we were called to do. Some of us need to go serve with preschoolers and children. Some of us need to go serve in preteen and student ministries. Some of us just need to walk next door and introduce yourself and say, if I can ever help you, if I can pray for you, let me know. Some of us need to just stop being a jerk wherever we're going to eat this afternoon and show the love of Christ to somebody. I mean, I've got a master's degree in jerk. But what if we were to say, you know what? I really do believe. Some of us need to say, I really do believe that God could use me. He has chosen me. He called me, little old me, into the redemptive plan he has for mankind. And I want to make a difference. I want to put my head on the pillow tonight and know the world is better because God used me. He called me. He chose me. And you know, it's not those big things. So out in the hall when you leave, on those glasses, they're, they're all over the glass are these post-it nuts. And on those post-it nuts, we've got all kinds of things that you can choose. Just little random acts of kindness. Grab a post-it note and just pull one of them. Say, I can do that. I can be a part of that. You can open up the Sugar Hill Church app right now and you can pick registration. I can help you over at Lanier School. We're doing the Great Migration. I can help at our local schools. I can help mentor. I can help read. I can do a million things. I can, I can help pack backpacks. But listen to me. If we're going to be a part of what God's called us to do, he's all about people. Everything he does, everything he is about is calling people in his relationship with him. Jesus came to strip down all of the rules, all the laws that every man had layered on top of that one thing. And Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, came and said, all you're called to do is this, love God and love other people. And when you love God, you'll find it easy to love other people. And the best way you'll do that is you'll serve God and you'll serve other people. The Alpha and Omega said, that's what greatness looks like. I don't know about you, but I don't want anything more. I don't want anything less. I don't want more rules. I don't want one more thing I can't eat, can't drink, can't do, can't grow. I don't need one more rule. I just need a heart that says, whatever the Alpha and Omega, whatever Jesus said was the biggest deal, let's do that. Serve him, love him, serve other people in his name. Why not? Anybody can do nothing. Why be anybody? Wouldn't we want to just go make a difference? So I want to ask you today, in a minute we're going to worship. And let that be a time where you say, God, make me brave. Make me bold. Call that out of me. Use me. Because there are many of us in this room. God's wanting to get our attention to grab that post-it note and start making a daily habit of, God, how can I give myself away and be blessed richly? Because that's what you've called us to do. Father, we love you and we praise you and thank you that you didn't turn us into robots. You didn't make us anything other 
them part of your redemptive plan and call us into a relationship with your son Jesus so that through him we could be right with you, that our sin could be forgiven, that we could turn our life around and live for you. And as we serve others, we could recognize it's all for you. That going all the way back to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel, it was pointing to you. That today, here in 2015, it's pointing to you that all that we do, all that you've called us to do, it's all about you. God, I pray we wouldn't get lost in trying to point fingers at everything and everybody else and say, that's our problem. But we look in the mirror and say, until we're willing to be used, until we're willing to serve, there is no greatness, neither for this country, the state, or our family, or peace in our life. So God, use us, call us, call us up to greatness. God, demand from us that we're about something bigger and bolder. Let us know that the greatest and boldest move we could do was to share and to love people, especially folks that we may not know, folks that we may not believe in, folks that don't believe in us, folks that don't think like us. So Lord, call us out to be brave, to be bold. Today, every day, In the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.